I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comics Verse. So welcome to yet another episode of the Comics Verse podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Uh, as I said previously, joined by the effervescent, as I said, and illustrious uh, Kathleen Wisniewski. Hello, it's nice to be it is nice to be back. It seems like we were just here. It does seem that way. Right? Yeah. And Kathy is recently engaged and just found out she's going to be an associate uh, editor. Assistant editor. Assistant editor. Sorry. Promote me prematurely. I know, right? Uh, at Marvel. And uh, yeah, I, I, just so you guys know, I don't think she can get you a job at Marvel yet, but you can send her some emails and ask. And I, I think, as I said in the last podcast, she cannot resurrect Jean Grey for us. Can't or won't. Well, yeah. Ouch. Yeah, actually, yeah. So refer to our, our last podcast to hear all the vitriolic things that Kathy has to say about Jean Grey, her least favorite <laughs> character in the Marvel, DC, and Image universes combined. Wait, really? Yeah. No. <laughs> I know, right? She's just like, no. No, she's she, exaggerating yeah. a bit. No, I, I think slightly. No, just no, a no. bit. Just, maybe just in one of the so three curious. universes. <laughs> but yeah, so this podcast, or this series of podcasts, is called Interns Take Over, and it's all the contributors and interns' opportunity to pick some titles. And Chris, uh, a new contributor, picked uh, Injection and Moon. Nights? Love both of them. I just have to keep saying that. They are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love them. Chris, the wisest and most informed of all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if you haven't had a chance, I, I did like a thousand word piece on Moon Knight. Like, loved it. Absolutely oh, loved thanks, it. Man. I can't say that enough. And now, yeah, great. we didn't even. You're working on the Moon Knight piece now. I finished it. Oh, you finished it's it? It's up. It's up for like a week or two. Oh, okay. So I may have to plug that to you on Twitter. Yeah. And what site is that up on? Oh, yeah. Comicsverse.com. Yeah. Um, which you can no, find. I see. This is all. You tricked me. This is all an elaborate web of lies. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's CBR. Okay. No, just kidding. But yeah, so this is definitely an opportunity for everyone to like pitch stuff that they like and uh, Chris pitch this. And I, and I should also mention that, um, I, which I forgot to mention last time, that you can find us on the web at comicsverse.com. And I hate all this bullshit social media shit, but we have to say it. I hope I didn't insult people who are really into social media, like Brian. But I, or Brian's tearing. Yeah, he's crying. I'm going to the internet now to register my complaint. <laughs> <laughs> the internet. Like using social media requires a certain amount of self-awareness of how part of the matrix you are right. so i feel like there could be a little bit of self-hatred involved right well yeah i mean now we're really going into like my psyche here yeah well i mean see everyone's been telling me today that i've been going real deep but i don't think that is deep it's just <laughs> That's like what she said. Wait, oh come on oh my god how oh. old are you <laughs> Yeah, because our last podcast was so much short with all the chicken rooster talk. Oh, I, I um, thought you legitimately meant that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you were acting like that. Oh, I get it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so the social media stuff. Facebook.com slash Comicsverse. Twitter at, at Comicsverse. Uh, Jamie, who's not on this podcast, is running our Tumblr so amazingly at Comicsverse.tumblr.com. Uh, and we got YouTube, uh, YouTube.com slash Comicsverse TV. Uh, Kay's got a really awesome Emma Frost video coming on where she uh, analyzes all 18 issues of Emma Frost. Chris uh, is going to be doing Masters of Kung Fu. And uh, we just stream Kathy all day long um, <laughs> because she's just so fascinating. No, but seriously, uh, we've already heard from him a little bit, but Declan Shalvey is here. And, you know, I wrote this, like, really awesome introduction. Like, I was going to build up to your, your intro, Declan, and now I feel bad that, like, <laughs> I didn't get to. But, uh, but let me try. Let me try that, nonetheless. So what I was going to say is that it, it's no easy feat to be recognized in the comic book industry and let alone break into it. But uh, this prominent and prolific artist was thrice 
nominated, I believe, for an Eagle Award with actually winning the award his first time out for his work in Hero Killers, which I kind of bet your art friends at school were kind of jealous of. Um, <laughs> and raised in the west of Ireland and graduating from the Limerick School of Art and Design, he rose to prominence in the American comic book market after illustrating important works like 28 Days Later, Thunderbolts, Deadpool, Venom, and Moon Knight. Am I forgetting any of your awesome Marvel work? Uh, no, that's all of it. Um, I did some uh, Northlanders at uh, Vertigo as well. Oh, and, cool. Uh, Conan at Dark Horse. Oh, awesome. So uh, now you're, I believe, the co-creator and illustrator of Injection with Warren Ellis, right? So they tell me. Oh, awesome. Well, that's yes. so cool. Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> yes, is I, I am. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> which is uh, published by Image Comics. And, uh, you know, to me, I thought the comic book medium itself was kind of challenged by uh, the wonderful visual storytelling that you guys had. Because this is so much more of a suspense thriller. And uh, yeah. I've personally, I've read a lot of comics. And as I will uh, bring up many times, Kathy and I met at a comic book class at Columbia, comic books and graphic novels as literature, where, you know, I expanded my horizons. And after that, started reading all kinds of comics. And I really haven't seen uh, a, a, quite a buildup. Uh, in um, a suspense thriller in this way, which I really, really enjoyed. So, um, oh, with injection? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, great, thank yeah. you. So, uh, like I was saying, please welcome to the Comics First podcast, artist, creator, and comic book author, Declan Shalvey. It's a, it's a Declan, just so you know. Oh, no! That's okay. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. No, don't, don't worry. Uh, uh, my name, it's an Irish name, but I mean, it's not, I wouldn't expect you to know how to pronounce it. Oh, that's so bad, though. Yeah, but we should know these things anyway. It, it's Thank a, you for saying something. Yeah. Yes. Because some people just wait for you to oh, figure yeah, it out. Oh, yeah, then you'd feel like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know Arlen Schumer? Are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. No. Oh, so he wrote this um, book on uh, the, uh, the the author theory of comics, which yeah. is like that the artist is the creative driving force behind the comics. Mm -hmm. And when I met him at a special edition NYC, I kept calling him Arlen Specter, who also is uh -huh. dead and a former senator. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, it was really well, it really makes embarrassing. You feel bit, um, my girlfriend is a uh, Jordi Belair, and um, the the day we were going to meet each other, she thought my name was pronounced like Declan. Oh. <laughs> but like her mother told her otherwise, like. Uh, and um, I heard that Eric Stevenson, the publisher of Image Comics, thought my second name was pronounced Chalvey, oh. which is a much fancier way to pronounce it. Right, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's it's just pretty... shallowy, like <laughs> No, that's pretty cool, though. So yeah, so thank you so much for being here. And, and first off, a very, very belated congratulations to you for uh, being nominated for an Eagle Award three times, which is which is really amazing, and winning it your first time Thanks. out. Um, yeah, um, well, geez, uh, the, the Eagle Awards they've, they've they've kind of changed in a lot over the years, but it was uh, it was a really big deal. Like that was my first comic, right? Like that I actually drew the whole thing and it was published. But uh, I mean, I remember my mom was telling everybody it worked vote for me and all I mean it's a public vote so I mean I, I'm getting that kind of attention for your very first thing was was pretty great though um but uh, I mean, I credit the writer for writing a very good story. I don't think I did a very good job drawing it, which you'll find out if you ever look it up. <laughs> it's Hero Killers, right? We looked it up. Oh, God. Great. <laughs> I thought it was cool. Um, I actually had some questions about it, if that was that was okay. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was wondering if the responsibility of the artist would change or, or was it altered in any way in regards to the book being, it was black and white, if I remember correctly, right? Versus yeah, it color. was black and white. I, essentially, I went to a, a comic convention in, in Bristol in the UK mm -hmm. which is a big deal for me because you know I, I grew up in like the west of Ireland so like going to England on my own you know <laughs> it's probably the scariest thing but it was, uh, it was a little intimidating but I met a writer there who essentially was publishing his own stories so stories that he wrote he was um, getting artists to draw them and he would publish them so it wasn't a paying job it wasn't a case where it's like oh I've got this thing you know what do you want to do it was mutually beneficial in that regard so if I could draw 30 pages of a story 
he promised he would publish it, oh, which wow. for me was huge because the only thing I'd really ever done were like uh, samples, you know, uh, three page sample stories as much as I might have drawn comics in like the back of my school copies mm-hmm. to actually have a project that if I drew would be a real life. I mean, when you're starting out, that's the first major hurdle. A lot of people say they want to draw comics, but like they're not, they don't know they like unrelenting work it takes to draw page after page after page after page. So to actually have something finished and then published was such a huge deal. And I was, I think it was 2022 at that stage. And which was, it's also a great way to start out because then a lot of people start by maybe ghost artists, being a ghost artist or being a, doing a fill in or doing a, a short story. And it's, it was, really great for me for the very first thing i did to have my name as the artist if you know what i mean oh that's amazing yeah and it was your was that the first comic that you had ever worked on uh, completely yeah. saying, right yeah as in like for print as well because it was a weird thing because you know you can draw comics but i had to figure out like what resolution to scan it at and uh, what format it should be little things like that which for me and i was completely computer ignorant for a long long time and um, still am <laughs> jordy would uh, jordy would argue i still don't know how to use a computer but um I uh, just lots of things I had to learn. Like it was 30 pages, but it took me maybe three months to do. Oh, wow. Which, um, I mean, uh, sorry, Catherine, is it? Sorry, Catherine. Catherine. Uh, We'll find out that's a very long time to do 30 pages. But when it's your first thing, it just took a while and, you know, trying to fix it. But uh, yeah, sorry, I think I'm blabbing now. Oh, no, no, no worries. Yeah, that's that's like a really amazing story. And to be 22, right, when that happened. Yeah, Yeah, I I think um, it was published in 2008. So I would have been... Yeah, I would have been tw- 22. But I mean, you know, then that was done, but it's not like I had a job, effectively. But it was the first big hurdle. And it was the first, you know, I think you learn when you do comics, like every comic you do is basically an audition for your next job. So oh, wow. that was something I could I could hand somebody that and say, I drew all of this, rather than hand them, you know. I think it's the difficulty if you work on anthologies sometimes, which is where most people start out on, in that you're like, oh, I did the third story. And then right. somebody picks the much better draw story. This is you? You're like, no. <laughs> and the one before that, you know, it can be awkward, but it was very, very helpful for my first project, as it were, to be completely drawn by me. But yeah, it was black and white because it was an indie book. Couldn't afford to pay for color printing at the time. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, back back in the old days when printing was more expensive, even black and white printing was more expensive. Oh wow, that's very very interesting. I think. And soon after that, you worked on a comic that was in Irish language work, correct? No, I did I just a short story. It was an Irish language. I did okay. one that was published in Ireland. It was uh, Rob Curley, who's a retailer in, in Dublin. He basically has his own like mini publishing line uh, with all these different characters. They're all actually uh, American set stories, but he was kind of the first person to really like pay artists to draw his stories and he would publish them. So this, it's essentially a small press. Like You could get it through Diamond for a while, but uh, I'm not sure if you still can. But that was my first proper like paying job. Uh, Stephen Mooney, who used to, who draws uh, Grayson and Midnighter, he had been drawing it for a while. And when he he got his work at IDW, he got hired by IDW, so I had to leave it and recommended me. Oh wow! And then and then, but like now things went well for me at like you know Marvel and stuff, so I've been able to repay the favor for. So now I suggest him for jobs to pay back for him suggesting me for jobs. Oh, that's very cool. Very nice. paid and forward and all that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kathy and Chris, did you guys? I wanted to open up to you guys if you wanted to ask some of the questions. We which are we talking injection? Are we talking Moon Knight? With questions? Oh, we're we talking the him? questions that I wrote down. Stick to the plan. The injection questions we wrote down, or the Moon Knight questions. Oh, these are just like... Just in general? Yeah, we're on... We're right here. Did you find there was any particular pride uh, than usual for working on a comic book in the English language? Oh, no, the the Irish language. And we're on the next one, yeah. Oh, uh, you're (laughs) also... Sorry about that. You're also known for your artistic interpretations of literary work. I believe you worked on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. What was that like, and how was it different than working on a more traditional comic? 
Well, first of all, uh, I commend you on your research. And the Frankenstein was uh, essentially my first like proper paying job, as in it paid well, and it was an actual publisher. It was very interesting to kind of, uh, you know, actually read the book and realize, oh, that all these different iterations of Frankenstein are actually way off from what the actual book was. But I mean, the publisher hired a writer to break it down into basically uh, comic book pages. So it wasn't a case where I took the book and I, I adapted every scene and whatnot. The adaptation for the narrative had already been done. So I was still essentially working from a comic book script. Um, it was different in the way that the publisher's uh, approach was to basically publish the original text, like the original uh, language and, and, and speech, and then more simplified version for kids, basically. So it was aimed at like schools and libraries. So if you're quite young, you could read a kind of more simplified version. If you're older, like, you know, teen or in secondary school, you could read a more complex version. And then um, that was great because I felt like I was paid to learn you know it was like 120 pages so it was a good chunk of uh, it was work for like nine months and it was great to actually make comics my real job that's when i changed from basically doing some comics and getting paid a little bit of money and scraping by to actually making money so i, I moved to scotland for a while and i got a studio there and uh that was was great training i think that it's a little bit difficult to work in graphic novels if you're trying to um, make a name for yourself because especially with like the internet and uh, especially things like uh, at the time it was blogspot but now it's like tumblr and stuff in that um, everyone's competing for your attention so much and if you're an artist trying to like make a name for yourself and get your stuff move your work to the foreground you have so much competition and if you're working on a graphic novel you are essentially disappearing for something like nine to ten months and you know if i didn't see an artist work for 10 months i'd assume they either have quit or are can't get work anymore which is completely unfair you know you know there's nothing wrong with like going away and working and like say for example darwin cook does it all the time but the thing is darwin cook is a very established name so he can't do that so when i was in ireland doing these uk graphic novels i was very aware that the target market of who i kind of wanted people to see my stuff were essentially editors at marvel and dc because i've always wanted to, to work there but they, you know they're never going to see that book because that's not the demographic for these uh, publications or schools and libraries. So um, I was offered twenty eight days later after I'd finished Frankenstein. So for me that was a, like a massive, massive pay cut. But I kind of made us, you know, you could argue it was a stupid decision, but I was trying to be savvy and I figured if I could work for a bit less money for a few months that at least that would be breaking me into the American market where just so many more eyeballs would see my stuff month to month. You know, Marvel and DC, they would see that work and they'd realize, because a lot of people just think they can send Marvel samples and Marvel go, oh, this stuff is great and hire them. But, you know, I'm, as like Kathleen, you, you'll find, I'm sure Kathleen will find out that if you can see somebody is doing a monthly book, then you know that they can actually do a monthly book. You cannot tell what, how, if somebody can actually deliver a comic on time just from some ramble, random pages. If anything, you can generally assume when you see samples, they probably spent a week on three pages. You have absolutely no idea. So it's great for me to kind of break into the American market that way and have a, a monthly book. I mean, I think maybe now I could do something like go away and do a, a graphic novel, but it was it was a little difficult at the time to try and get my name out there when essentially I couldn't show anything. And then once the book comes out, there's like fanfare for that week or that month, but then it's gone. Whereas if you're doing a monthly Marvel book or you're doing a monthly book in, 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 in any book in the States, essentially you have something coming out regularly. So it's a lot easier to go, look at me, when you actually have something to show. But um, yeah, you just can't do that work in graphic novels. So it was difficult in that regard to be starting out, but it also was a great safety net because I knew it was 120 pages. And I knew, you know, if you work at Marvel DC, for all you know, the issue you have is your last one mm. uh, on this round contract. So it was a, it was, you know, it was a great space for me to kind of 
try and develop my storytelling and know that there was a safety net and I knew how to work for exactly, you know, however long it would take to do the book. So there was great things about it. Um, and um, I, I ended up doing another graphic novel after that, a Sweeney Todd one, which was a little different because it's not necessarily based on a book. It's like there isn't even an author. Nobody actually, nobody knows who wrote Sweeney Todd because it's like basically a, a story. It's so old, nobody knows who actually wrote it. But they were, they were great. I think by the time I finished Sweeney Todd, I had enough of drawing people in, in Georgian costumes, you know, and that, that's not easy <laughs> to draw that over and over again. When I was drawing 28 Days Later, I'm like, oh, God, a guy in a T-shirt, thank Christ. <laughs> <laughs> then I bet you were really excited for superheroes after that, right? Oh, man. <laughs> I've always loved superheroes. Like, it, it's not the only thing I love, um, but, uh, I mean, I would always... I was always it like I've always wanted to draw for Marvel as a kid. And my first thing I drew at Marvel was um, it was a uh, Thunderbolts. Two issues of Thunderbolts was a cro- was basically a crossover with Daredevil. It was a Shadowland event that was happening. So I was like, yes, I get to draw Daredevil because you know it was all about him. No sign of Daredevil in those two issues. I was oh. raging. Like those, it's the closest I've ever gotten to drawing Daredevil. And I've been at, I was at Marvel for four years. That's still going to bug me. But no, that was great because in that issue was Luke Cage and I was drawing The Hand and there was all these ninjas. Oh, cool. And, and uh, even it's funny when you think the first thing, a proper thing I did was Hero Killers was basically supervillains. My first Marvel book was all about supervillains. But um, yeah, by the time I got hired at Marvel, I was definitely, I was just, uh, what's the phrase? Chomping at a bit uh, to do it, yeah. Um, I was, and to also, like from a perspective of an Irish person, it, not a lot, of, a lot of us have gotten to draw at a Marvel DC. So, there was huge pressure to really feel like I could deliver because it was like uh, Jeff Parker suggested me and I, I didn't want to let him down. And there's huge amounts of like Irish Catholic guilt that come <laughs> with like getting any opportunity because you instantly feel bad about it. Any measure of success is, is coupled by you should really feel bad about this. All right. So, um, uh, Kay, you can help me with this because we're going to start talking about Declan's artistic process and training and his oh, personal God, history okay. with art and stuff. Right. So um, uh, when, when did you first realize you wanted to be an artist? And you were saying that the first comic you worked on was Hero Killers. But uh, when was that in terms of your um, progression as an well, artist? Well, I, I did that after I finished art college. Again, not to sound like an impoverished uh, peasant boy, but um, you know it was really hard to get comics uh, where I'm from. There was a, there was no comic shop I could go to every week where I could um, I could read comics monthly. It was like my mother would take me to Dublin for my birthday, and I'd get to actually you know see comics like Hulk and whatnot. But I was able to get my hands on like a Spider-Man comic and an X-Men comic, and that was you know basically what I'd I'd, uh, I'd survive on. But I had no idea how I'd actually you know get to make comics like that's in America like um it just it just didn't make any sense how I would be able to do it so um when I was in when I was in school I kind of I mean I looked into the Kubert school because I knew there was a huge tradition of um of artists coming from there but uh the weird thing for us is we, we don't actually don't college is free over here what that I didn't realize nice. you go to America know, you need right? to pay an absolute fortune and spend like the next 50, 30 years of your life paying that off, Ugh. which just seems insane to me. So going to the Cooper school was like, my mom was like, this is nice, but I can't afford this. And it's like, okay, grand. So my art teacher recommended I just go to an art college. So I went to the, the art college in the nearest city, which is Limerick. And it was great because um, it kind of, they did not encourage comics in any way, shape or form, but it did open me up to an awful lot of different types of artwork. And I studied printmaking for three years, which mm-hmm. is in a way like, it's all drawing based. So I've always been, been drawing based. When I finished art college, the kind of bad thing about fine art is it's so vague. 
it kind of means yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's not like it qualifies you for anything except for talking bollocks, like, you know. Mm-hmm. It was very good at that. It really teaches you how to talk shite. But for me, it was I, I just it was kind of like a starting at ste- uh, step one again, because, again, I had absolutely no idea. But um, I, I saw that there was a convention, a games convention in Belfast. So I went and there was an artist up there. So I went up to scary Belfast, which isn't really that scary, but the first time going up there all you ever hear about it was bombs and stuff so um, I was like I hope I don't die in a bomb but it's actually lovely uh, and I met an artist there and he kind of said to me you will draw comics because you've been doing this like you're 21 now you've been doing this for so long it's just a matter of the right opportunity and you know, a bit of luck a bit of timing so he suggested I went I go to conventions in the UK which is what I did and it all kind of came from that but even in that that's a big pool well it's a very small pond in the scheme of things but for me it was quite a massive pond so it's kind of like slowly and surely trying to work your way up and meet as many people as you can and I mean it's kind of difficult a lot of it's networking and I feel I I feel always feel inherently false kind of Mm -hmm. networking with people because again it's not it's not a very the culture of of where I'm from is kind of like you know talking to somebody for self-interested reasons is something that a wanker would do Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, yeah, that's you, it's pretty standard protocol in most countries, I think, where you yeah. Whereas you can't when, talk I, when I went off. to America, I would see how people would be. I mean, I think I confused like self-interested networking mm-hmm. with uh, falseness. Mm. And uh, I would talk to um, there was uh, editors from DC would come over and and I'd end up hanging out with them and they're genuinely nice people and you'd find like oh no actually I really like talking to them and all what I did instead was not ever show them work because I didn't yes. want them to think that I was trying to take advantage so I remember one time right. uh, me and a friend of mine uh, Will Sliney who draws uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine we went to the DC uh, talk that you do if you want to show your portfolio and they tell you all about it and I recognised the guy giving the talk because he was friends with the DC editor I knew and he came up to me. And Will afterwards is like, why, why did you go to that talk? And we're like, oh, well, you have to go to the talk in order to submit your portfolio. It's like, you idiot, you know, so-and-so. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I didn't want to. Like, we were so so nervous about about seeming like we were um, being false or uh, self-interested that we just actively <laughs> avoided it, which, of course, is complete overcompensation. We completely overcompensated. So that I, that was very tough for me and uh, any of my friends from Ireland because we had to kind of balance that feeling of uh, self-hatred over um but I mean at the same time though we're all us Irish guys are fairly we're all relaxed and laid back and we all we've like clearly I've no problem talking so um that's never been an issue but it was always this internal dilemma over uh, uh going all the way to America or all the way to the UK and trying to push yourself forward mm-hmm. uh, which yes yeah, not something that comes naturally to us because you don't want to be seen as a wanker or whatnot. But frankly, you just have to because there's so much competition, you know. And if somebody, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And, you know, uh, had to get over that. I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> we talked so, about when so you first... What you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just rant about something else. Uh, well, you're in good company because we've been doing that all day, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, the question was when you first realized you wanted to be an artist. Oh, sweet. G- right, okay. Well, <laughs> so I think you did ask about... Well, yeah, and um, I mean, I always drew. I always drew. My mom told me a story about when I was two years old and she went into my bedroom and I had drawn Humpty Dumpty on the wall and she was going to murder me, but instead realized, actually, that's not a bad drawing. So she was always like very encouraging. Like I I didn't have a a dad growing up. So it was me and my mom and my sister. But like, again, drawing comics isn't something where it's not like she could say, oh, this is how you do it, because it's just nobody here even has any comprehension of how you do that. But my mom was always very, very encouraging. And if I was reading comics, she would read them, too. Like my mom is a huge Garth Ennis fan because I was reading that stuff and I'd give it to her and she loved it, you know. So it was always that helped me out an awful lot is that having the encouragement of somebody, even if they didn't really understand 
you know, it's, it's the same. I'm sure if you tell people you do a podcast, they it's like, what the hell is that? Why would you do that? And, you know, the thought of because I love doing it is never really something uh, that people can understand. But it was always a case of wanting to, to be an artist. It was more so of, and I even I wanted, knew I wanted to do comics before I even realized what comics were, because I would be uh, watching cartoons and doing drawings of what I was seeing on screen. I think it was when the X-Men cartoon came on TV, the Batman cartoon came on TV, and I would look up where the comics that came from. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what this is, you know, that it's an actual real thing. It's not just something I do at home on my own. And I think I always just knew that's what I wanted. Uh, it's just a, It was just a case of figuring out if it was, not even if it was possible, to be honest, because I was just doing it anyway. I think Marvel used to do this uh, magazine called Vision. It was like a wizard-style magazine Marvel published themselves. And there was an interview with Andy Kubert in it, and he mentioned how much money he made in a year due to his contract or something. And so I went into my mom. I was like, Joe, Mammy, is this a lot of money? And she was like, yeah. Like, oh, great. So, you know, I have no idea how much it was or if it was an awful lot of money. But if I, that's when I realized that you could potentially do it and mm-hmm. live. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, ever since that happened, I've just kind of powered through. I mean, you could argue it was stupid. But so, uh, yeah, so I just always you, wanted to do that. So did you feel that same impetus all through school? Or was there ever a time where you were in um, the Limerick School of Art and Design and were considering other options aside from being a comic book artist? The main thing that was kind of distracting to me in college were um, uh, ladies because I went to an all boys Catholic school so my entire education was all boys so then oh, I went man. to college I was like <laughs> oh there's these things called women yeah. and yeah there was there were, it was an alien concept to me but uh, seriously though well, I mean, it was, I think the problem with when I started college is because basically comics were all that I looked at. So everything I was drawing would be like a copy of a Jim Lee drawing or a copy of something else. And I was so uh, stuck in that kind of bubble that I, I, I didn't really look outside of it at all. And what I think what art college did for me was it really helped me to step outside that and look at like, uh, you know, Picasso or uh, Egon Schiel or, you know, all these different types of stuff. And, and, you know, some things I have an affinity for, but also like things like reading like feminist essays and books, mm-hmm. just things that I didn't really have any kind of being from a town in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I had no real, um, I, I had no frame of reference. So I never encountered these things. So I feel like that the years I spent in college, I basically, faff, you know, just messed about and was like, you know, getting drunk or, you know, mm-hmm. trying to talk to girls and whatnot. But the whole time I was in college, I was broadening kind of horizons that I was unaware of. Mm. Um, I never really considered a job that wasn't comics because, again, I was fine art printmaking and it's not like there's a mm-hmm. massive uh, career demand for fine art printmakers. If anything, it's a dying art. So, I mean, I did uh, participate in exhibitions and things like that, but effectively it was all drawing based. So I knew no matter what, I would want to draw comics. I think, I, I mean, I definitely got distracted Mm-hmm. Basically, to be honest, as well, I was seventeen when I started college, so I was still pretty young. Right. So I think it, 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 I, it gave me the time to kind of grow up a little bit and mm-hmm. um, kind of get out of that very comic centric bubble. Because I think right. you find, I mean, there's a lot of comics that you look at and they just look like a bad Jim Lee or a bad, mm-hmm. you know, take your pick. Because anybody who's who's popular ends up being replicated, mm-hmm. and if you don't have any kind of broad, broader artistic field or experience, right. you end up just doing a worse version of that thing. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with so many guys who are just like mediocre artists who don't have any real um, vision. This makes me sound like a wanker, but it, it, no, it's it the doesn't. case. Of it's, it's, it's very sincere. I think that as a person who tries and fails all the time to get into some kind of art or storytelling, it's just, it's not, well, I guess my whole thing is that I'm really interested in the fact that despite the fact that you went to 
the Limerick School of Art and Design and it had nothing, you know, quote unquote, related to comic book art at all. And yet you still have the conviction to follow that. And for me, I have, it might be just a personal issue, but it's just interesting because I have a problem with having convictions about which medium I want to choose. And it's really interesting that you, you know, college is supposed to be experimental and everything, but for the most part, you knew where you were going and like the path was for the most part clear. So it's just nice to hear that um, because yeah, I, would I mean, like to have I, there was, I mean, there was so much stuff in um, in our college. I mean, there's a lot of it was um, fashion based. It was a college known for design and fashion, which is basically that's where you go to get work. You know, because again, it's a very the culture in Ireland is kind of like you go to school, you go to college, you get a job from college and that's your job for the rest of your life. And, um, to you know, drawing comics isn't something that we naturally assume. So even when you go to an art school, effectively, the perception was that you get into graphic design or you get into fashion because right. those are actual jobs. Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> I went and I did printmaking, something where you're guaranteed to not get a job afterwards. Right. But I, I knew that like I tried graphic design and I was getting really good marks in it but I really hated the idea of drawing for somebody else even when I was working at Marvel and people would say to me like oh do you do you not you know do you not find that frustrating like because uh, you're not getting to draw the way you want to I'm like I do draw the way I want to like you know I'm sure Marvel have some people who they well I know they do have some people who they just hire to get a book done because editors have like so many books in their plate and there's some books where it's like look I, I just need this fucking book to get drawn because I like my job and I don't want to keep it and there's some guys who are amazing talents and you'll, you'll, you'll bend the rules for them. But, um, mm-hmm. but just to do a job, I, I, I would not enjoy drawing for Marvel if I didn't get to draw the way I like. Yeah, um, and don't get me wrong, I get notes or like, can you move this character forward or this, that and the other now and then. But I would say 99% of the time, I just draw exactly the way I want to, which is a great way to start out because yeah. then people are hiring you for what you do mm-hmm. rather than a perceived idea of what you should do. Right. So, and, but print was also still very drawing based. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I got distracted by using computers all the time. Right. I, I've always very been extremely driven towards comics. I even have a problem with them. I took an intern last year. Uh, so basically she comes over and she'll like maybe rule out some pages for me or I have her um, with injection now when I scan my pages, I send them to her and I have her level all the grey washes to a way that I like and I pay her to do that. But she's... You know, she isn't 100% sure what she wants to do because she's in, a, in an animation college. She likes animation, but she likes illustration and she, her interests are so broad. I think that, um, not to generalize, I think maybe a lot of boys get more singularly minded than mm-hmm. ladies do. Not because I think oh, girls are different than boys. But it's been my experience mm-hmm. that most of the women who are interested in art that I know have far more broad inspirations mm-hmm. than guys. So when I was younger, everybody who was a comic fan of my age, like Jim Lee, but you know, any woman who is uh, maybe into comics would have far broader cinema, um, anime, um, painting, poetry and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, it was good that I was very singularly driven. But I, I think it's a generalization, but it's actually more of a generalization about, about young men who I think who are adolescent for a longer space of time. So they're, I think maybe, you know, maybe uh, girls will be adolescent in their like 10 to 12 or something and then they'll become young women. But like, I, you know, a lot of men I know are still boys and we have extreme tunnel vision and we don't open ourselves out as much. So while it's good for me that I was very driven, I think it's also what stops enough. I think that's why there's a hell of a lot of more interesting women artists than male artists because that tunnel vision that a lot of guys have stops them from actually evaluating their own work and trying to trying to um, 
interesting. switch it up, you know? I mean, interesting in the sense that stylistically or just as people? And uh, Stylistically, I think. Okay. Uh, well, maybe, maybe both. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't, wouldn't be fair for me to say. And in, and in fairness, I could make absolutely completely wrong. I can only speak in my experience. Right. And I'm really not trying to say, like, boys and girls are different. No, don't um, worry. <laughs> I, I, I think that I mean, there's a lot of reasons for which I think maybe it's more culturally common for young men to be mm-hmm. adolescent for longer and right. not maybe evaluate themselves or the work as much. Uh, also, maybe the fact there's a lot of boys clubs perpetuates that too. Yeah. Um, I don't even know why I'm getting into this. I think but no, probably, because I, can't accept, probably no. because I can't accept the, the compliment you gave me for being driven. I was probably driven to a fault to a degree too, because I, that's the one thing I, I wanted to do. And to get distracted from that wouldn't have necessarily helped me. But so I think maybe college was a good time for me to to be in a safe environment where I can could experiment. There's lots of people I know in college who want to draw comics and all they're looking at are comics and they're like, oh, look at you, you're drawing comics now. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't really draw them when I was in college. You know, that's my one. You know, I think everybody leaves comics for a certain amount of time, but I, I left comics when I was in college and I looked at other stuff and I feel like I came back to college with the benefit of that experience and adding to it rather than, um, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, like if you have a photocopy or even an image and you just keep photocopying that image, it, it degrades. And instead of like, <clears throat> instead of going back to the source and that creative well, um, God, I sound like a pretentious wanker. But no, like, <laughs> this is really, stuff I've been thinking about for so a long time. You're so Irish. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't. I can't, I can't. Your self-awareness is so real. <laughs> Yeah, gotcha. No, you're no. It's honestly like again. You were talking about this before. I'm not gonna go on for too long about this, but you were talking about before how with networking it's really difficult to not to feel kind of authentic or sincere. But I think that even though you overcompensated before and you formed these relationships with people at DC, but didn't want to like make it seem like it was you know you had ulterior motives. I actually think that works in your favor because I'm actually I feel very uncomfortable networking as well. But when it's in a field with people that you respect and you have the same interests, I think sincerity works for you the best way. So I think that's why that could probably contribute to your current success, just because... Uh, Maybe. um, I think what worked for me, too, was that um, both Will and I went to uh, New York. We were both working for Boom Studios, so he was doing Farscape and I was doing 20 Days Later. And one artist made a point to me. He said that um, you guys have come over when you're ready. So I was meeting all these editors from Marvel and uh, and whatnot at a level where I was hireable. Whereas in the years beforehand, when I met all these DC guys who were all really, really nice, I probably wasn't at that level yet. But so when I went to um, New York, it seemed like all of a sudden, here's these, you know, here's this Irish guy who's good, you know, he could be hired. But uh, whereas a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't know what age, what age you are, but sometimes that level of exposure that you can get now can hurt because when, you know, Tumblr kicked in and when, when Blogspot was going, I was posting images that were of a quality that was publishable. Let's say you've only started drawing a couple of years ago, you're probably not at a level that is publishable. Right. But you've got your Tumblr and your Instagram and your Blogspot and you're putting up images and maybe editors are seeing it, but what they're seeing is somebody who's not quite there yet. Right. But unfortunately, that's what they might remember. And they might not look at you again for a while because they're waiting for you to get to the level. Or I think I was fortunate that when I did get to America, where I was kind of going to more American conventions and meeting people, the quality of my work was at a level where it was like, oh, this guy's actually good. You know, he could work. I think it's a little bit tougher right now because there's there's just so much noise. Uh, You know, and I think uh, Kathleen probably have that problem. Whereas, you know, uh, everyone who you might know in comics might start focusing that at you and... Quite frankly, there might be somebody who's great, but just not quite there yet. But in your mind, you're going to remember, oh, she's really good, but I don't like her, her hands 
need more work, something like that. And um, I think that could, well, it's a benefit that you can like get your work out to so many people on the internet now. I think quality control is a slightly harder problem. Okay. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> I really do go off on mad tangents. Sorry. No, it's good. All right. Uh, I'll be asking you the next question then. Did you find yourself attracted to any particular era in the history of art? Uh, if not, do you feel that your art is informed by any particular period in art history? That's a great question. And I feel really uh, insecure about answer, uh, answering no. I think it was more styles. Uh, I was into, like when I saw Egon Schiel, I know it's a very, uh, it's an easy answer. A lot of people know his work, but because uh, uh, everything was really drawing based. So e- even within print, I got more interested in lithography because it's a lot of it's more based on, 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 on drawing technique. There's so many like old etchings which are so meticulously drawn, but for me are so detailed, they're kind of like dead and flat. That um, And it still informs my work now with like a lot of digital work. I, I have a hard time really getting invested in a lot of digital drawings because they lose a bit of life for me because maybe there's so much there's so much line in there. I, I can't focus on it. There's, I really like gestural drawings. I think that's even even there's some abstraction like, um, oh, I'm embarrassed now because I saw I went to Barcelona once and I went to a gallery called by this artist. I can't think of his name, but all he did were these kind of like brush, abstract brush strokes. And um, they sold for like thousands and millions of euro, you know, but effectively they're just lines on canvas. And while I, I have a hard time going, you know, that's talent because uh, I, I, I really hate how pretentious and yeah. just ridiculous um, a lot of contemporary art is. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell the guy knew what he was doing and that he was experimenting. And when I, I got to a stage where I really, really, really admire technical ability, mm-hmm. but somebody who's able, who's willing to experiment is something that always kind of um, grabs me more. So again, I, I like, you know, the Renaissance and all these different uh, time in art history didn't never really interested me. But if there was an image that really caught my eye, I always really jumped on top of that and still do. Cool. Uh, to follow up on that, do you feel like uh, there was a particular style that uh, your style uh, this changed throughout the years, or has it generally stayed about the same? I think it's it's hard for me to say because I'm so close to it. You know, you're so close to your own work; it gets really, really hard to um to evaluate it. I think when I was less good at drawing, I relied too much on what it is. I relied on, like for example, Jock. Uh, if you know Jock's work, excellent expressive line work and great eye for design. But I wasn't very good at. I wasn't at a great drawing level, but I did like design a lot. So I kind of made sure I was, I, I concentrated on designing my pages and designing covers. And I would kind of use design to cover up a lot of my bad drawing. And then I got more interested in like expressive thinking. So I'd use a lot of expressive thinking to cover up the bad drawing. Once I got to a stage where I felt like my drawing uh, capabilities were much better, that's where I started making you know, design decisions for a good reason rather than, and I can see it now, I look at pages and I can tell somebody is just like using this effect to cover up feet or to avoid drawing a background or, because I know this because I did it. And I I think I would always try take in a technique like dry brush. So um, I experimented with dry brush and I really liked it. So then there's a period where all of my pages would have loads of dry brush. um, (laughs) But like way too much, you know, and and then though there's a time where I really liked feathering. So I'd feather way too much and there was a time where i would like to um, ink spatters and i would do way too much but i mean I, I feel what i was good at is spotting when i'd gone too far and knowing when to rein it back in mm-hmm. whereas i think a lot of people probably just don't realize that and they just go too far and, and it just everything's a mess i've always been good at like you know being a good sponge whereas i would i would soak up what works for me so like i'm a massive jp leon fan and I've, I've 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 absorbed so much of his work but i mean i don't draw just like jp i mean i wish i did yeah. but i don't but i feel like i've taken enough from him and taken enough from uh sean murphy and taken enough from goran parlov mm-hmm. to be however good a job i can do is what i can do and it's not aping anybody else 
So, I, I mean, my work has certainly changed. I was definitely more high contrast. And I feel mm. with injection, I'm kind of, um, I feel like I'm kind of sculpting a drawing more than I am just rendering it, which is what I used to do. Right. So, I mean, I think I always have an idea of what it would like it to be. And it'll never quite be that. But as long as I'm moving in that direction, I'm happy. I used to think if I drew a certain way, that would be it. But like all the artists who I really respect have a certain way of drawing. But if it's like um, a lot of the old guys from the 70s. You recognize their stuff from like working on X-Men or whatnot. But the work has not changed at all. And because of that, it's not exciting anymore. You know, I already know, ah, fucker, he doesn't care. Uh, John Byrne, you know, I know how John Byrne draws Wolverine. Right. So if you put him on a Wolverine book, you know, I've seen that. And I, I'm, uh, because his work would be very similar to what it was before, I feel that uh, I have already seen that. And, and what I find really exciting is like when um, Trad Moore was put on Ghost Rider last year, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, I know what Trad Moore looks like and I know what Ghost Rider looks like, put them, but what I don't know is what it's going to look like when you put them together. And that's, that's kind of what makes me p- pick up a, a book now is like if I'm interested in, in those two things mixing, that's what I find exciting. So I feel like as long as I, I keep trying to like bring stuff in, not radically, I mean, I'm not going to start like drawing like Joe Matarera all of a sudden, you know, I'm not going to like try and superimpose a different style on top of mine. Because in, in a way, I'm not really aware of what my style is. I, I, I don't even like the word style because I think mm. a lot of young artists see something that's interesting and they want to copy how it looks right. without fundamentally understanding it. Well, so I mean, I would, sorry, oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, please. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm curious just because like as someone who deals with someone, <laughs> someone who deals with, because I'm still trying to figure out what my quote unquote style is and everything. So I guess I'm interested in your, you not liking that term. Is it because specifically in comics and also in art, do you think that style sounds a lot more permanent, I guess? And then there's kind of um, a level of impermanence with art now or everything has to be, not has to be, but you know, the world is moving so fast now that things have to be really experimental for anyone to keep up. Do you think that that's why that's like that or it's like that's why we don't have any quote-unquote traditional artists now how do you mean traditionally mean like traditional um, like i mean i don't mean traditional in the sense that like the style's traditional i guess i'm more in approach where like they would stylistically not just gonna make me sound like so not nice but like they stylistically boring not boring they just like they don't develop and change as much over time um, as we well, I, do now. To, to, as regards to the word style, I, I, I feel like it's a superficial term. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel that if I wanted to, I could draw like Scotty Young. Right. But that would be me projecting a Scotty Young drawing on top of how I draw. And I, I just, you know, if you project something on top of the other, it doesn't exactly work. Mm-hmm. And... I think that you can see how somebody, for example, Joe Martorera, like, you know, hugely influential and everybody was trying to draw like that in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's um, it's 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 like wearing, uh, you know, clothes that don't quite fit. So right. so everybody sees what you want them to see, but you don't really understand how, you know, it doesn't fit quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you love a certain style, I mean, experiment with that style, definitely. I mean, you, you should play with those things, but I feel unless you fundamentally understand what works and doesn't work about them, which is why you have lots of people maybe maybe copying a Joe Maderera style without under, understanding the, the fundamentals of cartooning. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people draw in a cartoony style. For, for example, Scotty Young. Like, a lot of people probably think it's very easy to draw like Scotty Young, but I mean, mm-hmm. Scotty can draw in the style that he does because he has 
worked at his craft and developed it over time. And he's gotten to that style eventually. If you look at his older stuff, it's way more influenced by like um, uh, graffiti work, but mm-hmm. it's also very ropey. You can tell there's lots of stuff he didn't know how to draw, but was covering it up with quote unquote style. Mm-hmm. And because I, I prefer the term, again, I'm going to sound pretentious, but voice, because they, I, feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like the voice is something that you will develop yourself. I see. And it's something that you'll hone yourself in your own environment. Whereas uh, the way style is used as regards looking at artwork, I feel like it's something that is removed from that. It's a very surface term for, for just looking at something and, and seeing what, what, it, what you, uh, taking imagery and just seeing what you see, rather than if you're an artist, you should be figuring out what works underneath it all. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, it, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's a style is something you don't, you're not internalizing, I think. Right. So kind of like if style is the quote unquote, just like the superficial part or like interpretation of it, I guess you're saying that there's for any artist and every artist, there's an inherent voice, as you said, or an inherent identity that should show through and identify you from uh, other artists. I think that like that's comforting for me because it's very easy to get worried that you'll be kind of lost in the ether of so many well, um, other talented uh, artists. Actually, a very good um, uh, story is, do you know Jordi Belair at all? No, I don't. Uh, Jordi Belair is an Eisner award-winning colorist. Mm-hmm. And she won the Eisner last year, and uh, she's also my girlfriend. And when I met her when I was living in New York, uh, Kathleen will probably know her because she colors every book, basically. Mm-hmm. She colors uh, Magneto, she colored Deadpool, uh, she colored Moon Knight with me. Uh, she's coloring, what does she do with uh, Autumn Lands, uh, Pretty Deadly. She's like incredibly talented and works on so many stuff she's very in demand when i met her she was starting coloring and she handed in um, a submission to marvel uh, color submission and it was an ed mcginnis story and she um it was really nice it didn't look like a traditional marvel comic it was uh, a lot more restrained and some interesting color choices and she sent it in and the feedback she got was essentially a point by point um it was notes on how to make it more homogenous effectively it's like here's what generally stuff looks at marvel and blah 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 blah. and if she had taken all those notes on board i don't get me wrong you should know not that notes are should be ignored but in this case all of the things that the um person in the submissions uh department every note that they had given her was a note of how to make it look less interesting and more like a um you know a uh, a commercial product and she was very you know upset about that but she talked to another colorist that she knew and he said to her ignore them because what you're doing is interesting and Maybe you're getting to a place and you'll develop, but your work is really, really good and interesting. And, and you are going to find, you know, people will follow that. People will be interested in that because it's different. If you these notes and hand that sample in, you'll probably get the job, but you won't be doing work that you like. And and I, I think it, it works. It works a lot for like a lot of a lot of artists. If I drew drew an up, uh, it was really popular. Uh, okay, it's really popular Marvel now. Say Sarah Pacelli, uh, excellent artist. And if I drew just like her, that's not as interesting because you can see it better because their jelly is really, really good. So if you're a less good version of somebody else, you will probably get work because you're a little bit like that person, but you will never be that person. Right. And people will always say, who'd be great on this book? Sarah Pacelli. They're not going to say the set person that who's kind of like Sarah yeah. Pacelli. If you want them um, to do a Spider-Man book and you want Paul Pope to draw it, you're like, what would that I mean? That would just Paul Pope on a Spider-Man book. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah. But, you know, so you can't have pop ups. So you'll start looking down the list of people. And then the more your work is, is less interesting, then the, I feel the less demand there is for it. And if you're doing work that is your own, I mean, it'll either find an audience or it won't. Mm-hmm. And if you just want to get a job in comics, it's not actually that hard. You can just, knowing the right people, you can get a job. But what you, ideally what you want is you want to be getting work for what you do. Yeah. 
and developing your own voice. Because I feel that, and I know, look, it's, it's essentially a semantic argument, and I, I could be talking an awful lot of bollocks. I just mean in a word that, like, it, I mean, because it is still style. But the way a lot of people talk about comic book art, they talk about style in a, in a, in a specific way mm-hmm. of, like, of what it looks like. Whereas regards, if you have a voice, you can always, you know, change it, you can develop it, but you're not going to just implant something completely different on top of it. And if you can enhance and develop the way that you make your work and how your work looks, if it's good, especially now, it used to be the case if you if you wanted to draw for Marvel or DC, you had used to have like terribly generic work. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what's really encouraging is like people like Marvel and DC are actually hiring different types of styles and different types of looks. So if you have work that looks original and is yours, then you're you know, you can get on a book and you can make them like you. When I when I first started working on Thunderbolts, I was sharing duties with an artist called Kev Walker, who's a great artist, and nobody liked my stuff. But then after a year of, of us alternating, people started to really like it. And I asked a fan once why he said he didn't like my stuff at first, but now he does. So I, I asked him why was that? And his answer was was really obvious. He said, I just got used to it. So that's kind of when I realized, like, essentially, fans will either like something brand new or they won't. And if they don't like it, if you give them an avenue to get used to it, mm-hmm. they'll get behind it, you know. So if you have nothing behind your name, they're probably not going to like your work. But if you stay on the book long enough, yeah, they'll develop a taste for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll build your own following for being you yeah. rather than, you know, being a second or third rate, mm-hmm. you know, Pacelli or Stuart Eminem or, or, or name the artist, you know. All right, welcome. We're here to talk about injection. Okay, and uh, we're talking about injection because uh, Chris wanted to introduce us all to this comic, and I'm sure we're all really glad that we did. And yeah, it's been great to read. So, how about um, yeah. it looks like Marius, you have a question to start us off with? Uh, yeah, well, as you may or may not know, uh, the theme of this podcast is uh, interns take over. So uh, basically, comics versus interns and contributors were able to choose like the topics of this round of podcasts. And yeah, Chris decided to choose uh, Injection. And I think everyone here is really glad he did. It's been a great read, uh, I must admit, so personally. Cool. And yeah, you as a co-creator of the book, what was it like the process of creating such a stylized and uh, groundbreaking work? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thanks. Sure. I am um, well. Uh, Warren and I and Jordy worked uh, on Moon Knight together. Um, Steve Wacker hired me to start the. We launched the Moon Knight series at Marvel last year, um, which was amazing because unlike all the other books I'd worked on at Marvel, which is essentially coming onto a book mid. I know after the book had been developed with Moon Knight, I got to basically from the ground level design how it would look, the color approach. I actually had an opportunity to basically build the look of a book which was very, very liberating. And while we were working on that, I knew that Warren has, had only written six issues. And he was only going to do six. Right. So um, he did his usual genius thing of doing something amazing and then, you know, hopping out. But um, as we were working on it, I was getting offers from other publishers uh, to do maybe create our own work. And uh, it was something I really wanted to do at, at some stage. But Warren actually said, would you like to do a book with me at Image? I was like, That's so cool. <laughs> all right. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, Warren Ellis. But, yeah. um, so, so especially after like how creatively rewarding Moon Knight was, mm-hmm. the idea of doing that again, but it actually being mine. Right. And there's nothing against Marvel. Uh, I've worked at Marvel for like four years. And I, I loved it. But essentially, I don't own anything I've ever worked on. 
Mm-hmm. Which is strange because even from the last hour of me blabbing, you could tell how ridiculously pretentious and of my own ass I am. <laughs> so, I mean, no matter what Marvel could have offered me, the, just the opportunity to do something creator on Warren Ellis just wasn't going to come across. So it was very easy in one way because we had developed a working relationship right. and we worked well together. In a way, Moon Knight was like a test for injection. So mm-hmm. thanks, Marvel. <laughs> but uh, what was difficult was 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 actually creating a series. I mean, it's interesting. You take an idea like Moon Knight, which has been worked on, and then you, you know, Warren basically fucked with it, as right. did we all, and it was it was interesting. It was much different to come up something come up with something from the ground level. So I kind of pride myself on being like reliable and on time and, and doing good work. But injection took a long time to kind of flesh out and um, mm-hmm. and, and develop and bring together. But as regards our, I mean, we worked with Nick Lowe on um, on Moon Knight, but we don't have an editor on injection. But that's because we all like I know Jordy knows how to do her job, and right. Warren knows I know how to do my job, and Warren knows how to get a script in. So it, it's seamless as a working relationship. But it was very, diff- you know, it's also very intimidating because Warren is an amazing, yeah, of course, an amazing writer and. Unlike, in a way, I'm much like you guys, where I don't really know what's happening until I get a script. <laughs> and and that's, I think that's deliberate in his case, because he, I don't know what's happening, you know, so I'm like two issues ahead of you guys, because I'm working on issue uh, uh, five right now. Right. But, um, so I'm, or I've just read the, the, the script for issue six, and it's crazy. Yes. Um, but I, it's, it's like, it's like I'm watching the jigsaw come together slowly but surely and it's a little bit difficult i feel like in the current market because i see a lot of reviews along the lines of like this looks great i have no idea what's happening well um, i mean actually that's really interesting that you said that because that kind of leads into a question that we wanted to ask you i would i don't know i don't want to speak for everyone but i did i understand that review just because not in a negative way at all but it looks great and i don't know what's happening but to me that kind of translates as having this kind of using the medium really well and really interestingly because it has this amazing build-up intention. And that actually kind of contributes to what you said before just because you were saying that you're only like a couple of issues ahead of us. So you're kind of like, what's happening as well? And then do you think that that suspense for you contributes to like how you approach it artistically? I, 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 maybe not the tension, but I feel like um, getting the story issue to issue makes me concentrate on that issue. Um mm-hmm. Because if you've read Moon Knight, there are six standalone episodes. And I think maybe... And they're fantastic. Some people, yeah, some people might be frustrated because because Moon Knight was so basically satisfying issue to issue, which it was. I mean, it was amazingly satisfying issue yes. to issue. But when Warren asked if I wanted to do something together, I had become somewhat frustrated with my time at Marvel in that... Um, Right. You you know, uh, especially with double shipping, you generally do uh, five issue arcs mm-hmm. or three issue arcs or six issue arcs. Right. But because of the publishing schedule, it's not really possible to do a monthly book because Marvel now generally publish like 18 issues a year mm-hmm. rather than 12 or 10. So it's not possible for me to do a big, broad lot. Like the dream for me is to do like Daredevil run. You know, I yeah, would love to do that someday, but it's not as really possible as an artist to do that with the way the publishing schedule at the moment. So getting to work with Warren, I was like, I want to do something longer and more complex because this might be my one chance to do it you know if i i i could easily see me going back and doing more superhero work at marvel or dc or whatever after this but this is my opportunity to do something more epic in scope you know more complicated more narratively interesting because i feel like you know if if this was a marvel book people will have dropped it by now because it's not Uh quote unquote as entertaining i think as a as a longer body of work it'll be far more satisfying Whereas I feel that Moon Knight was great for what it was because it was it's satisfying in a short way, mm-hmm. but it's not like I, I mean it's very very interesting. But I, I feel that there's only so much complexity involved. Whereas yeah, with this, like I kind of feel bad for writers coming up now because I don't think you could do a book like Injection as an unknown guy yeah, because people will be I, judging you issue to issue so much. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I don't know if you guys find that, whereas, whereas at least people know that Warren, like, he knows what he's doing, you know? Yeah, so I may not know what's happening, but I mean, you know, he's, you know it's he, not like he's making this up as he goes along. Right. He has his own personal history to back up all of his choices. So his experimentation yeah, exactly. isn't, yeah, exactly. Which is, which is a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to work on something that will, you know, that will, uh, to build something, you know? So it's going to be, like, if it sells well enough, uh, 25 issues, it'll be a nice collection. And for me, wow. no matter what I do afterwards, that'll be mine. And like, I mean, designing the, the covers, the design, the lettering, the, uh, you know, all these things have been my decision, which, and, and in fairness to Marvel with, with Moon Knight, we pretty much, they just let us do what we like, what we wanted, mm-hmm. except for like one issue two, there was a few violent shots, which we had to curb back. But I mean, that's a perfectly fair uh, a note, but especially after having that experience and also because Jordi and I worked together in the same studio. Mm-hmm. So being able to see it colored and like give notes and it's, it was so satisfying to do a body of work that I felt so uh, happy with going back and doing a random issue of Wolverine wasn't something that was as appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to work on a book like Injection, which I can appreciate from issue to issue, isn't as uh, immediately satisfying. It's my hope that every issue that you read mm-hmm. kind of enhances the previous issue and it's building and building to something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, it is, definitely. Well, it's yeah, hard for my point of view because I, yeah, I, I'm too close to really know for sure, you know. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, where exactly Injection takes place. Well, because as opposed to a lot of books of Marvel or DC, uh, basically uh, Injection clearly takes place in what we think is like the UK or Ireland. Uh, how does the location and setting of uh, that comic book like influence your, your artistic process? Did it affect your process because it's like closer to home for you? Well, the nice thing is some, some of it takes place in Dublin, so I can just go down the road and take some photos, which I mean, <laughs> it sounds funny, but uh, when, when we were putting it together, I asked Warren if we could have an Irish character. That's all I was looking for. I, uh, I mean, not that there needs to be more um, white characters or anything, but um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> but no, but I, I, you know, being Irish, I, you know, I loved an I read Preacher and there was, you know, they were talking about Irish things and I, I understood that it was, it was always really exciting to me. So I wanted there to be some kind of Irish element to it. What I got was actually more interesting was I got an Irish character who's black, which is when he said, when I was reading that it was an Irish girl, I was thinking white because that's what I'm pretty much used to seeing. But, but Ireland has changed a lot in the last few years and there's way more, um, way more immigrants came in the last 10 years. So it's, I, I thought it was really, really excellent that Warren thought of that, you know, right. as much as he gave me something that I wanted, he gave me something I wasn't expecting, which I think uh, the book is all the better for it. But yeah, drawing things like, like I drew the second issue, I think, is it the second or third issue? Roth is driving by a pub and like that's a pub I go to an awful lot, yeah. uh, uh, which was neat because my friend Stephen Mooney drew it into an issue of Grayson recently and we go there whenever he comes into Dublin we go there but um, uh, you know with drawing Trinity and uh, things like that, that that's great to be able to go and research it myself rather than just going online did that you'd actually be surprised how great it is to do that but um, I mean you know when you're drawing comics part of the excitement is drawing New York I love drawing New York it is admittedly a lot of, a lot of work but I always feel that Warren just gives me interesting locations like in the first issue when we first see Robin Morrill and there's that kind of white horse kind of uh, in the, the countryside that's a real thing I, that I never I didn't even know about I, I feel like I'm learning about stuff because all the locations Warren gives me are real things but he's assigning way more kind of mythic importance to them mm-hmm. um, but uh, I, I, I do enjoy that I, I really I think when we started working in the book I told him I really liked drawing locations and mm-hmm. nature 
like uh, landscapes mm-hmm. because I when I worked on Northlanders with Brian Wood, there was an awful lot of like uh, Icelandic landscapes in it. And a landscape to me isn't necessarily an exciting thing to draw. But as I was working on that book, I'm like, I love drawing these landscape shots. So mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that to Warren. So now I find there's lots of like landscape. establishing shots of, yeah. of wherever they go to. And there are definitely more work. Yeah. But I feel if you start a scene with a really good establishing shot, it, it, it puts the reader right there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, I it's all these, the Irish thing was the only thing I asked for. I asked for an Irish character. A fifth of the story takes place in Dublin, which is great. Mm-hmm. But that's not my doing. I, I basically just, I just take the scripts from Warren because he asked when we started for me to write a shopping list. So I just wrote a list basically of everything that I was into, like films, TV, books, mm-hmm. this, that and the other. So I gave that to him. And he basically put that in his Warren Ellis brain and, you know, spun it around and out comes injection. So so in a way, wow. it's interesting to see because it's not like he gave me a pitch. He said, I've got this book because it happens a lot when you're an artist. It's like, I've got yeah. this book. It's about this girl and yada, yada, yada. And you're like, oh, that sounds cool. I would like to or not like to do this. Mm-hmm. But with injection, he's like, I want to write something for you. So he asked for my influences. I gave him that. So that's, intimate and yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it with Warren Ellis. But um, oh God, it also makes it, it feel like it, if, if it makes it, which again, it, when I'm more used to doing an assignment like Deadpool or Venom or whatnot, it's incredibly rewarding to do something where I feel if this was a different collaborator Warren had, this book wouldn't be the same. No, and not necessarily no. because I'm so amazing. I'm doing something truly original, but well, the are. nature of the collaboration, the personalities <laughs> is resulting in this book. And uh, that's really, really cool. So exciting. Do you want to do the question about... I think we, we kind of talked about the tension. Yeah. How about the difference between being English and British? Okay. So well, we... I, I can't talk about that because I'm Irish. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just a point. Because a lot of people think, because I don't know if you know, the Republic of Ireland, there's the island of Ireland and there's the Republic of Ireland and there's the north of Ireland. The north of Ireland is part of the UK. It's part of Great Britain. Right. So there's an awful lot of confusion. A lot of people say, oh, you're from the UK. I'm like, no, I'm not. Nope. <laughs> if I was from north of Ireland, sure, because that is part of the UK. But again, I think that's clearly something, War, you know, clearly Warren's aware of. And uh, it is interesting because, I mean, I know Welsh people and Scottish people, especially at the moment, uh, in the last year or so, Scotland has become a lot more adamant about becoming its own country and yeah, um, right. yeah. so these kind of divisions i think is actually pretty interesting because people talk about being welsh or being scottish or being irish but english is generally accepted as being british mm-hmm. but there is definitely a difference because england isn't britain on its own you know yeah i'm not sure where he's going with that but i do think it's interesting no i think i mean you kind of answered our the question without us having to ask it but it was just about I'm the that good yeah you're so like you're just <laughs> Reading Great. our minds, it's kind of scary. It was about the character named Moral in the story and how he was making the distinction between English and British, and you kind of explained that for us. So we can go to another question. In the third issue of Injection, we kind of get to see more of what the what is. And I kind of like that there's like a supernatural element in it that pulls from old British folklore just because I'm also a sucker for just old folk stories anyway. But um, unfortunately, I don't know. I, I don't have like an extensive history or understanding of Spriggans. But so much of the work in the comic pulls from folklore. Did you find yourself looking at previous artistic depictions of mythological creatures when you were doing your artwork or were you just doing you? Well, uh, with the, the Green Man in issue three, mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you if you Google Green Man, which I did, yeah. there was a, I mean, there, there was certainly a common element in all the, the uh, artistic interpretations. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's, a, it's an amazingly original uh, style of drawing. They, right. All those things are very kind of because they're older drawings. They're always kind of more um, that you know they look like uh, police sketchups. You know, they're all more information based, which is which is the best thing really. But mm-hmm. there was in Birmingham outside of this factory. There was this kind of like weird sculpture of a green man, and I kind of mm-hmm. he was so weird looking. Yeah. Um, I went kind of more with that and tried playing around with it a bit. I, you know, would be interested in just drawing, redrawing an object. I like to try and move around with it a bit. But I mean, it was really interesting for me to even draw that character because, again, from issue one to issue two, I had no idea I was going to be drawing this fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so to see that in the script, I mean, I think it goes back to what you were saying about um, knowing what I was drawing or whatnot was that um, something. <laughs> uh, well, in that every issue that I get. Is is a new challenge, you know. So while I don't know everything that's happening, because uh, because yeah, you are you are asking if like um, if it's difficult to be that first person, but I feel because I'm that first person, it makes me kind of step up uh, to make each mm-hmm. issue really really interesting. So I don't treat it like a story point to get to issue five. Right. It's the one thing I know, so I will give it everything I have to make it as visually interesting as I can, mm-hmm. and then finish it, and then I'll get issue six. And I'm like, okay, now I've got it. So, but if I knew issue six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I might be less interested in one or more interested in another. Mm-hmm. But I feel it forces me to raise my game. So I can't just get a script for injection and start drawing it. I need to think about it for a while and do some research. And I mean, from a purely um, technical point of view, it's a little uh, frustrating because you're not drawing. But you forget an awful... And a lot of of writers like to say that while it might only take a week to write a comic book script, you've got to think about it an awful lot, Mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely true. And uh, I'd uh, completely concede to that. It's kind of the same thing. I could draw a comic page, no problem. But I don't think it would be a very interesting page. Mm-hmm. Unless I really can think about it and like, you know, think about the emotions and do I really want to sell? What moment am I selling here? Or am I just drawing a picture of Deadpool? Or am I really trying to get across the fact he's actually going insane in his head and mm-hmm. little things like that? I like to kind of sit about it. And also, you know, everything I draw, I have to research and reference and try to get the right. Even the Dublin stuff, I take like, I take 20 photos and try find the best three that work, you know. So um. It's um with, the, with all these things like Spriggan's I, I will definitely do research, but I, if I you could really fall down a hole with that stuff too. Yeah. And uh, I ultimately still student. I need to I need to draw the book in order to make money. You know. <laughs> right. I think I've always been good at knowing when to stop mm-hmm. and getting enough that I need. And, and, and then I would kind of, you know, take that because I took a lot of the, the Green Man stuff and then I went and I played around with it a bit and found a way in which I wanted to draw it, you know. OK, I actually have a question about the process specifically with Warren Ellis, because you were talking a little bit about it earlier. Um, I hope neither of you mind that I go into it, but I'm actually really curious about You're going off road. Huh? You're going off road. I know <laughs> they can't stop me. But I'm very curious about, I mean, you already kind of talked about it, about how like, you know, Warren Ellis came to you with injection and wanted to, you know, create this thing with you. And you kind of both have a chance to, you know, do your individual, very unique, innovative thing. So I'm just curious, like, what is the process like with Warren Ellis? Because because, you know, I know that with some writers and artists, they the writer will just give like an idea of what the comic is and be like, figure it out or like, you know, just give the artist a lot of freedom. And then I also know people who like plan each and every panel to like to a T. And then I also know people who it's more of a conversation. So I guess I'm just curious what your relationship with Warren Ellis is like in that regard. Um, it's, it's 
very cut and dry. He sends me the script and I draw the script pretty much. But, um, you know, if, if there's uh, something that isn't working for me and I want to change something, mm-hmm. he's fine with that. But I think Warren's a very, and, you know, it, 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 you wouldn't think of it. There's some writers who've got a very good visual sense right. and some writers who don't. And I think the writers who have a visual sense write better comics. Mm-hmm. Um, some writers just think are, are screenwriters and they're not thinking about imagery right. and therefore the scripts are, are not really something where you can like bust out and do and be illustrative with it Warren is um, mm-hmm. and a lot of times he'll have an idea of what he's looking for so there'll be a case of me drawing it sending it to him seeing what he thinks mm-hmm. maybe there'll be a bit of back and forth like so every character of injection I think I did a previous pass right. Warren gave some notes and then we came back so it was a little, there was a back, back and forth there but there were other characters which what I wanted to draw was what I wanted to draw, and I just did that. You know, eighty percent of the time, I'm just drawing what I want, but it's right. coming from stuff he's giving me. And um, now and then, things will flesh out a bit more in between us. But uh, it's not very conversation based. He came over to Dublin recently, and we had a chat, mm-hmm. and I I learned a bit more about what's happening, and because of that, I can kind of plan. I came with a specific visual change for the book right. uh, that'll happen in issue six, but that's you know. But then I'll email him about that, and he'll and he'll yeah. That's, generally, I think he says to me, "You're the one who's to draw it," so. You know, he let me just draw it. Right. Okay. Uh, well, and finally, do you have any, uh, like, teasers you could give us for, like, the future of the injection book just for the fans? Yeah, I, I can say issue four is out soon. And that um, that's, uh, if you like BPRD, I think you like that. It's a very kind of a BPRD-ish issue. And issue five, which I'm currently working on, you'll have a much uh, I don't want to give anything away. There's a very significant revelation in issue five, which okay. really changes yes. the stakes. Yeah, I'm okay. actually drawing that right now. I'm like, it's like this is this is crazy. Yeah, there's something uh, something within the narrative. There's a very Warren Ellis type reveal in issue five. Like, I need that much. Hopefully, that'll um, that'll shock and awe everybody. Okay, great. Thanks. And so, for the next segment, what we were hoping we would be able to do is talk about some specific panels from Injection. So. I hope that there's a way to do this so that you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a, a panel from Injection 2 on page 9. Um, it's set in the pub, probably the one you were talking about before. And maybe, I don't show on the camera or something. In the, the foreground, there's a man drinking, and then the two main characters are in the background discussing. Oh, yeah, I know that one. No, oh. that's not the pub. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So what we wanted, we wanted to ask you about the framing. We think it's a really interesting framing. Uh, it's great that this establishes the setting with a really telling foreground and the main characters in the background, but it also moves the story along. Um, so uh, just generally, what was behind the creation of this image and what were you thinking about when you placed the characters in the frame? Well, yes, one is establishing the scene. Jordy's color work puts us back, because you can tell from the, the purple color scheme, it's a flashback. So Jordy puts us back in the flashback. Um, also, all my flashback pages, I draw just traditional ink line, like, say, mm. most Marvel comics, whereas the rest, all the current narrative is all done in gray washes, like a lot of Moon Knight was. It, it's, for me, is a subtle way of putting us, like, in the past and the, the present. Of course, Jordy has the color, so color kind of sets it off. If I recall right correctly, um, both the characters, Bridget and uh, Simon, are on the left-hand side of the page. That's right, yeah. And if I'm right, then in the next panel, they're both on the left-hand side of the page, but Vivek comes in from left to right. I can't remember what the next panel is, but if, if, if I remember right, basically, to me, you, you read left to right. So when you read a panel, you read left, right, and then you go left, right, left, right. But I also like to try and uh, look at a page as a whole and have a... Sometimes I'll try to direct 
um, the reader subtly from the top left-hand corner to the bottom right-hand corner. So if you look at where you're focusing on each panel, you slowly move across the page from one side to the other, but from the top to the bottom. So in that first panel, I mean, there's a guy in the foreground, like uh, this kind of grizzled old-looking fella, right. just because I wanted to draw an old-looking fella. But right. um, it also puts you in a pub, you know, and I've been in a lot of pubs and there's a lot of fellas like that in the pub sometimes. But I think story-wise, I mean, those two characters are talking, Vivek comes in and um, it moves. Uh, what's in panel three, because you remind me? I'm not sure, but... Uh, oh, because you're looking at the panel yeah, on the just page. The panel uh, but I do have an additional question to like the next page after that, and it goes. Maybe you could answer for your colorist the page ten. How there's a conversation happening, and there's like the decision made to have the background be really transparent while the characters are outlined really vividly. Did you or did your colorist decide to do that, and what inspired that decision? And um, that was Jordy. I think that. Um... For her, well, she wanted to make those scenes visually uh, different. So, I mean, she painted a lot with different color schemes. To me, it's kind of, um, I quite like those because, especially with those flashback sequences, if you and, and uh, Kathleen are going to, like, say, talk about this, you know, this podcast tomorrow, you'll mm-hmm. you'll remember Kathleen right there talking to you, so you'll have a good idea of her. But the background behind you sometimes gets a little shady. Right, so while I'm yeah. drawing everything, I kind of quite like that Jordy will do with the color hold, will push all that stuff back. So while the information is still there, it's not really, you know, it's not the focus. It's not what you're going to concentrate on. You concentrate on the people that are talking. So right. it's a little frustrating because you don't see them as well. But, you know, I still had can draw them and do all my perspective <laughs> and figure out how to draw them. But I do, I like putting in the work and deciding not to show it sometimes, you know, right. um, for a creative reason rather than uh, more of a business reason or, or time reason. But that, that's all Jordy. And I'm not, I don't think that's why she did it. I think she was just trying to come up with something that was slightly more visually interesting because mm-hmm. she's worked on a lot of books and does color changes or flashbacks all the time. Right. Um, and I think that she's somebody who does, who gets frustrated if she can't, try something different mm-hmm. so i think there was an i think i I'm, I'm speaking for her now but i think that one of the reasons is because she wanted to do flashback and use a color scheme for the total change but right. do something slightly different and, and I, I i love seeing that especially if she's doing something different with my work because she works with so many amazing artists right well it's working <laughs> <laughs> good okay so the next panel that we wanted to talk about was in issue three on page seven Mm-hmm. Um, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Just like, it's almost like a painting. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You have uh, the characters in the hotel room, and as he's talking on the phone, the background changes and becomes more wild and, and more abstract. abstract. Yeah. yeah. And so this is, there's just a window in the background and a cutout long panel on the top, and then in the foreground, there's a blackbird's flying up in front of the panel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the question is about the existence of the panels within panels. But if mm-hmm. you want to just talk about generally how you compose this, uh, it'd be great to hear more about the process. Um, yeah. All about the process. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. It's um, Well, I mean, when you get the script, uh, for me, um, the most interesting thing is that the is changing from a room to a forest. So, um, you know, I, I framed the scene to be very, you know, standard, boring just looking at moral and then so i don't know if uh, the page beforehand he's lying on the bed and then um, it gets darker and he kind of lifts up a bit so that's a little difficult because i completely redrew the panel and redrawing a panel because what you can do in photoshop is you can just copy and paste Mm -hmm. and then redraw bits digitally but i actually redrew the panel exactly just raised his head and drew that bit because i find that the subtle changes are what's interesting about that so in the next page with the blackbirds 
you know, once I read that panel description, clearly that's the most visually impactful right. thing, you know. I mean, even though he's in a forest, and um, we've by that page we've transitioned to the forest. So to me, the blackbirds are um, the, the thing that's really going to be what the page... I, I kind of um, call it like the focus. Each page is a focus. Maybe one focus, maybe two things you want to focus on. But to me, that was the thing to center on. So I, I was like... I give myself more space in that um, that panel, but then I looked up at uh, different reference shots of birds flying, and I'm like, I really want to get that real sense of you know flock of birds. But I was going to construct it the rest around that. Um, and generally, I think you notice an injection that um, all the panels are kind of like widescreen. Mm-hmm. They're all like a letterbox. It's kind of like a very deliberate attempt to be restrained in the storytelling. And it's something we tried on Moon Knight in that, um, again, if you read a lot of superhero comics, especially, things get very bombastic and people break panel borders. Right, and yeah. They're all great tools in your uh, to, to use but i find that they're very overused and they become very detrimental to storytelling so mm-hmm. so with moon knight and then carrying on with injection i wanted to make sure it was extremely restrained so you'll probably notice in the panel where all those birds uh, flock they break the panel border from the previous panel right, maybe yeah. even the next one but that's me very consciously deciding to use it there right yeah. it, it is um it is an element of supernatural Mm-hmm. it's not in our reality it's it's more it's supposed to kind of pull you out of the story but like definitely unnerve you so right. that's me that's me basically um doing a song and dance because that i'm trying to save them for those moments like if, sometimes i read like a marvel or dc comic and there's a character talking yet his arm is in panel four for no reason right. that drives right. me yeah. insane you know I'm, I'm trying to very specifically use those tricks at, at certain times so um, and and also you're supposed to be becoming more nerved and nerved because he's just talking away as if nothing's happening really he's looking around and he realizes the environment's changing but he's still talking to maria on right. the phone he's not going holy shit maria you know yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's having a conversation but so we're supposed to slowly and slowly change it and i, I quite like that especially because um Jordy did a lovely job with the color work. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know on the previous page when the room is starting to shift. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One thing I really, really like, which I didn't do, it's, it's something Jordy did, is one of the lights are on. Oh, yeah. And as you can see, he's sitting on the bed mm-hmm. and talking, but one of the lights are on. And for some reason, that light being on just made the panel for me, you know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that she managed to color the, the window by the time, because she'll ask me what I'm thinking of. And for me, once it shifts from the room to a forest, mm-hmm. not that the window is a light source, but it's like a, it's like you're in a, if you're in a dark room and you can see out the window. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a light and all the light shining through, but you can it's still tangibly a source of light without blinding the room in in, in light and shadow. So I, I just love love how she saw that moment of it being. I mean, it's very eerie to see a lit window in the middle of <laughs> of a creepy forest. Right. And I worked really hard to make that creepy, but I think I think Jordy just sold it really. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I was actually going to ask about that because the way the page with the birds is set up is kind of, though you understand that it's like that, almost a panel, that panel behind him is supposed to be like the window from what we understood two pages ago. But the way that it's set up, it it isolates him and it it almost is like he's in another panel. Yeah, it kind of focuses you your eye towards him. And right. That's something we used on Moon Knight too. Is that when we were working on Moon Knight, Moon Knight was white. He was always one hundred percent white, which which made him more um, which focused you to him. And I don't know if you noticed in that page too, but there's still if you I think is it Maria in the first panel? I can't remember. Yes, but, it is. Yeah, and then in the second panel we see him shadowed on the phone. Mm-hmm. But if you noticed, if you move down, you can see he's slightly to the right. Mm-hmm. And then if we move down, the birds point more to the right. Right, right, right. in the last panel? Uh, the last panel, he's sitting back down, but there's no bed. It's just he's sitting Okay, the but, but yeah, but that's the thing is no bed. It's tree trunks, but that's on the very right of the panel, right? Mm-hmm. So if you took, a, if you took like a, a permanent marker and you drew a line from what's the focus of each panel, mm. 
it would make it a very kind of a slight but definite lean to the from left to right through yeah, the page. Yeah, yeah. I try and do that to so to make sure you're always moving along. I, I hate it when you read a you're reading a comic and you don't know where you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's me trying to subtly kind of like create a composition that moves you through the page. I mean, that goes back to what you were saying about how you like gesture drawing, which I totally relate to as well. And I think that you successfully created movement through comics, which is, I mean, like you would want to believe that that's something that's standard protocol in such a panel-based medium. But, you know, there are comics that kind of stagnate and don't have movement in them. So I do appreciate that you really do appreciate and try to create movement through the panels because sometimes uh, it no, that, that, uh, thank you I, I appreciate that I mean I'm doing a book with Warren Ellis you know I, I gotta fucking step up like yeah you know I, I mean if I was half-assing this uh, what a waste uh, that would be I mean I, I think that's interesting because it's what I'm slightly slower on this book than I want to be but, but I think it's the thinking time and the developing time and mm-hmm. which is what's kind of raising my work a little more I mean I, I mean I can't tell you if this is better than Moon Knight Moon Knight was the thing I was most proud of yeah. and now we're doing this book but I'm so close to it it's really hard to tell but um, I can legitimately say I'm trying my hardest to make it mm-hmm. interesting and even when we were working on Moon Knight and there was all these different weird things Warren was doing he's like are you on board with this I remember my answer being like look honestly I don't really care like right, yeah. this, this, this is interesting and I would much prefer to do an interesting take on Moon Knight than do just another story, which is exactly what we're expecting. Mm-hmm. I prefer to do something that's completely different because personally, that that's what I just find interesting. And whether you like it or you don't like it is perfectly fine. But I prefer to do something that is more curious and different than yeah. something that is proven and boring, you know? Yeah, I mean, we've, I mean, we're not, we don't have a chance to talk about it, unfortunately, but we did also read Moon Knight. And I might just be ignorant and I might just not have read enough comics but I think that it was really interesting to read Moon Knight and see how the art and the panels were done just because there were you know like you said he's kind of like this white knight so he already stands out and that's part of his you know for lack of a better word like that's part of his swag he's like he's just stands out and he's like no you're gonna see me coming but and also in the panels like there are some instances where the pages are white and then the panels are colored and he almost like comes from the background into another panel and like I I guess I don't know if that was you or Mr. Warren Ellis but I thought that that was amazing to see because it was kind of just like it perfectly visually conveyed that he's this guy that wants to see you coming but then you kind of still don't see him coming. Like, he's still going to surprise you. He's still going to... Well, I mean, the line was Warren's. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to see me coming. Yeah. But I mean... I really jumped on top of that. And I also thought, if I was going to draw Batman, I would draw, you know, loads of shadows. He'd be like a, a design element with black. Mm-hmm. But I figured Moon Knight was the one book where I could probably do the opposite mm-hmm. and make whites. Because you find that, um, and especially with a lot of uh, mainstream books, is, um, you know, a colorist is going to be so worried that an editor won't like... Like, Jordi has proven herself, and so and I, I think from our time at Marvel, we've proven ourselves. So um, Nick Lowe would have given us the benefit of the doubt if we wanted to try something. Right. You know, it's not like we were brand new. But um, Moon Knight was the one book where I could actually try and use negative space right. and white space mm-hmm. deliberately, you know. And it worked, thankfully. Everybody everybody liked it. I'll, I'll, normally, that would be a smart decision that Jordi would come up with, but I actually am going to take credit for that one. Um, nice. But, uh, well, she had done it with, uh, she was coloring Brian Wood's uh, run on Ultimate X-Men mm-hmm. uh, with Mahmoud Azrar. And um, Brian had asked for Kitty Pride's suit. It's a white suit, but to not shadow, just leave it 100% white. And it looked great in the book. 
But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I thought that was a neat idea, so I kind of took that and decided to like really ramp it up as much as I possibly can. Yeah. I wanted him to be a graphic design element. Yeah. Really. I mean, it's kind of an injection because it's five different characters, so they all have to be visually interesting. But I, it's, it's also more of a grounded book, so it's not like um, I don't want to take any liberties with those. I wanted to be a very uh, tangible, real-looking world that you're stepping into, which is where you know I'm, I'm kind of worried that maybe I should have done something different with that book. But again, it's more of a slow burn. With Moon Knight, I just wanted to be like. You know, punch, punch, punch. Yeah. Probably every time. I mean, it was, I don't know, not to be such a little brown noser, but I thought it was very gratifying. And I liked, again, you guys were very stylistically matched. So I guess. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I kind of feel like, especially visually, in many ways, like the Moon Knight you create is kind of like the opposite of Batman. And I really mm-hmm. like that aspect of the run. Yeah, I mean, if I can't do Batman, might as well do the opposite. <laughs> well, I don't know. I kind of like that Moon Knight was, like, I feel like that's, I don't know. For me, maybe it's just because I have a personal, like, love for Batman, too. But, like, not to say that that would change my feelings about Moon Knight. It's kind of just more that I feel like it's kind of an easy way out to say that Moon Knight is just the other side of the coin from No, no, Batman. that's just true. No, no, I, I didn't want yeah. to say that. Oh, okay. I just I just felt like... Well, he wants to be seen, and he's all white, white, and I think it's just like graphically speaking, interesting mm-hmm. design element. So um, that's what I was and going. That's to. that's what I like about working with Warren is that he's mindful of that. You know, he's. I mean, he's. A, you know, he didn't suggest that he be um, uh, white. I mean, he in the story that's what he was going for. But you know, it's my job to make this as visually interesting as I could, and you know. If I had Moon Knight busting and breaking panel borders and flipping panels and doing horizontal panels and all this stuff, that would be one choice. But by being deliberately restrained, but heightening that graphic design element, I think is what makes that book a little bit different. Because all those other books do that stuff. And especially if I'm beginning, like I was saying in the beginning, like being able to launch a book at Marvel, it's a great opportunity to just like... I remember saying to Jordi, I was really worried, but I'm like, I'm thinking like fuck it, like if I can't like do something different with a, on a Warren Ellis book, yeah. what's the fucking point you know yeah, and I was really. you know I was expecting some kickback but everybody seemed to really really get on board with it which was great you know mm-hmm. editorial fans and everything it was it was great but it was also extremely intimidating to do Injection after Moon Knight because that was so visually impactful and, and Injection is again deliberately restrained and mm-hmm. and you know you're going to go through 20 pages before you get to something very uh, surreal so when you see the green man in the window so for, okay for example what the scene we talked about where right. the scene changes that's interesting and i like how creepy that is but then when we turn the page and we see this really monstrous thing looking in at him that's you know i wanted to go ah and then we get to the double page spread you know try to use um visually impactful stuff for reasons you know if you watched a horror film if somebody was surprised every two minutes you, it would lose effect and um mm-hmm. yeah you're trying to craft storytelling you know um yeah i'm not that bothered about the plot of injection because i know warren's going to do something good i'm more worried about the craft of storytelling uh, which is what i feel is my job to make that interesting oh that's nice i feel like that's interesting because i would not that i've been in a position like this so i don't know how i would react but i would imagine that i would receive the script and i'd probably be like where is he going with like i would like not so much doubt i would just well because it's one else so like why would you doubt him that's, stupid, that's but, it i yeah. mean i could probably push him more and go look i want to know what's happened with the story and he'd probably tell me but because i was also a bit nervous about working with warren at first i'm like all right so whatever you're like okay yeah, you know, yeah. Cool. I'm quite e- very eager to please, you know, right. um, uh, very accommodating. So I didn't push it. When he did say to me that you're my first audience, I think mm-hmm. I appreciated the fact that when he does send me the script, 
I'm the, you know, for him, I'm the first person who reads it. So my response to that is going to inform how the book is drawn. I see. Um, it's a little frustrating because Jordy and I were talking about the, co- the flashback sequences and how maybe co- colour could be used, but we couldn't do this because we'd already done something in issue three. I, I think the only reason I would like to know more about the story is so we could do more visual things to build upon it, you know? Right, like Easter but, eggs, kind of, like just to... Um, not necessarily what... Easter eggs, but I mean, one thing we were playing about around with was that um, depending on the point of view of the character in a flashback, mm-hmm. using a different colour scheme. Yeah. So yes. they're generally purple, but um, in the flashback, if there's a flashback in issue two where uh, Winters is talking about the the doohickey he's going to use, mm-hmm. but that's I asked Jordy to for that to be a different color scheme because that happens like a couple of days before the current narrative, mm-hmm. and all the other stuff happens a few years ago, and I didn't want the perp there were two purple scenes to confuse anybody, mm-hmm. so I asked Jordy to to do something slightly different there. So she did. So she was thinking maybe what we could do is use this color scheme for Winters and color scheme for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about the other day and we realized it's actually not going to quite work because uh, we've already done a scene from somebody else's point of view so it's kind of too late to make that decision which is a little frustrating because we'd known that we could kind of make that something more cohesive so that's the only reason it's not that i need to know what's happening plot wise or who's going to die or 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 this that and the other it's um Mm -hmm. it's being able to kind of art direct it a bit more because geordie's very like whenever we're watching we're watching daredevil and Mm -hmm. uh on netflix and you know there's a red exit sign she's oh look at that exit sign i was like oh yeah yeah she's like he's going to come in through that door (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, Jimmy. She's like, obviously going to come in the door. The exit sign is red. He's red. You know, he's yeah. daredevil. He's going to be red. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it's she's she she has a stuff on her um, blog. Uh, she doesn't do them anymore. But um, uh, I, I, what did she call them? Second, I can't think of them. But she would take films and study the color design. Uh-huh. Um, That's amazing. And I love that because we we do that a lot in Moon Knight, like with a lot of uh, specific greens. And then yeah. she works on Magneto and there's flashback sequences and that. And she had a very specific design approach for how to color the flashback scenes. And yeah. so I love working with her because she just makes the, the design a lot richer, you know. Right. I mean, I actually was really curious about what the usual protocol or relationship between a artist slash art director and colorist is like normally, because I know that it can be different with writers an artist too but I didn't know if you went in with the idea of like this has to be this color or if it's just kind of like I trust you and and well, with Jordy I trust her because well one we've worked together an awful lot right, and you know I've seen her develop over the years so like she's coloring issue uh four right now mm-hmm. so she's asked me you know do you have anything on mind and I'd be like well I was kind of thinking there'd be some reds in here or you know I was thinking maybe this would be very dark and, and whatnot but you know, as regards very, um, in issue two, the door in the hotel, or when, when Winters goes into the hotel to kill the guy, she made all the doors red. Um, mm. I was just thinking they'd be brown. But she's like, you know, she's to like, red oh, to huh, connect yeah. with danger, you know, because mm-hmm. he's going to kill those guys. Like, fuck, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, I, I would never have thought of that, you know. But uh, I'm trying to think of maybe a specific colored thing idea I had that she, generally, if there's something I, I have in mind, I'll say it to her. And she'll either try it, like it, or try it and decide it's not working. And say no. Uh, so sometimes she blacks out panel borders because she thinks it makes everything else pop more. Right. Yeah. Even even and the the next issue uh, takes place in Dublin Airport, and um, uh, I, I drew it and I said it was it was you know getting dark, but she made it darker and then illuminated everything in streetlight, which I did not have that idea. But damn, it's it's really really pretty to look at, you know. Yeah. Um, with Jordy, I basically say this is what I'd like, 
But if you have a better idea, go with it. She's worked with other people who are like, this is what I want. And she generally doesn't like working with those people because not right. that she wants I mean, to do what yeah. she wants. She actually prefers working with somebody who knows what they want to do. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, Kathy might have this experience with her new job, but like there's some people who say they know what they want, but they, they don't, don't really. <laughs> or they say like, you know, have fun with it. And then they come uh, back with something and they're like, actually, I want something actually completely not different. that. <laughs> Which Everything is bullshit. That, that is yeah. absolute bullshit. If you well, can't, you can't say what you want in the first place, mm-hmm. like don't expect someone to do their job twice, you know, yeah. just because you couldn't figure out what you wanted. I need to see it first. No, that's bollocks. You know, if there's something specific you want, say it. But I mean, yeah. we'll put it this way. If it was in different colors, so I mightn't trust them as much. But I mean, yeah. Jordy won the fucking Eisner. So, so I think I she mean, knows what yeah. she's doing. Right? <laughs> All right. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up, but there's one last question for you that's just about your personal feelings. Here at Comics First, we all have different opinions about it, and I go back and forth about it, but what are your personal feelings about the Spider-Woman cover controversy? Oh, I think... No, I was just going to... I was going to jokingly make an offensive comment. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you're undecided. No, no, but you see, I know people who work at Marvel, so I don't want to say anything about about them per se. But I I would say it is... An unfortunate case of because uh, well, okay one thing it was a variant cover so Marvel is a company they make money and they have certain practices in which to make the most so right, they will have course. variant covers with other artists they if you've got a new book maybe you'll have a um, Jim Lee okay not Jim Lee but a, you know a very popular artist do a variant and Milo Manera is a very popular artist an incredible draftsman like his his work is amazing now I've seen a lot of his own work. And it's incredibly, incredibly uh, well detailed, but probably a little risque in ways I wouldn't particularly like. Right, but yeah. I mean, that, that's fine. This is work. Yeah. He's never any Marvel stuff I've seen him do has never been appropriate. He draws a certain type of woman. Mm-hmm. It's not the type of woman I draw, but that's his thing. And there's people mm-hmm. who, who who are into it. I think that there is a way of looking at a comic, at a drawing, literally. So to criticize the pose itself. Mm-hmm probably isn't I, I don't necessarily think that's fair like the broke back pose i don't right. like the broke back pose so cliched and um, as a drawing it's very good like if you draw a lady and you can see her bum and her and her chest and whatnot aesthetically as a drawing it's actually quite nice right but like um like say you take jim lee as a drawing his draw you know he draws beautiful women if that was a real woman her spine would break in half because yeah. it, it bounced but a drawing is not a photograph Right. His interpretation. Mm-hmm. And he is, I think he should be completely free to draw whatever the hell he wants. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's an unfortunate thing because I, I think the Spider Woman is an incredibly hard character to draw because yeah. there's no way to draw her without her looking naked. Um, yeah. I did do her for a Secret Avengers cover once. And uh, I drew her because of the shape of the yellow parts of her outfit. Right. They, one accentuates her chest mm-hmm. and the other one points towards her crotch. Right. Yeah. Um, and those are big yellow elements on the design. Yeah. Um, in the 70s, that looked fine, but people draw a lot more realistically now. And once you draw that, yeah. um, I saw this beautiful painting of Alex and Leave doing a Spider-Woman, and it's a beautiful painting, but it looks like a naked woman. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like a woman in a costume. So I think that doesn't help. And the fact that the Minera draws the way he draws, that probably accentuated it because of it too. Like she, she looks like a red, a naked red lady, not a lady in a, a, in a costume. I think considering the aesthetic that the book was going for, that the variant cover um, did quite match that. Yeah. And especially if you're looking for a specific fan base. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people say that a lot of uh, Marvel are pandering to a lot of people. I think Marvel are creating a more diverse line of books for a more diverse uh, fandom to get behind. And 
I'm all on board with that. You know, I, you don't have to like every single book that Marvel published. I don't. I'm a massive Marvel fan. I don't read every book because right. yeah. some are not to my liking. I don't read Avengers because I'm not interested in a big world expanding. But I, I love Squirrel Girl and I love Power of the Duck. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. there's room for different tastes. I think it was probably a misstep to have that cover on that book in the same way um, with that Joker cover recently with the, uh, the Batgirl uh-huh. book. Mm-hmm. I think it's a case of maybe an unfortunate mix of commerce and aesthetics yeah. that, that really hit in the wrong place. I think if you had that cover on a completely different book, nobody would have even seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody would have picked up on that at all, you know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I just think, especially with the type of audience that they were, you know, hoping they would pick up this book, that just conflicted with it. I don't think it has anything to do with the inside of the book. Yeah. And I think maybe some people, I think some fans confuse what they want with what they're getting sometimes. And, yeah. the, you know, that book... That was was that for issue one? I don't. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah. people hadn't okay. even read the book by the time. Yeah, so right. seen that, you know. Exactly. So in a lot of cases, I'm the case of like I'll just you know I don't like talking about a movie and if the scene like I saw Man of Steel, I think that's a piece of shit movie, so I'll talk about it no problem. But uh, I'm not gonna go watch this uh, Superman versus Batman movie, so I don't have any right to. When that comes out and it's inevitably crap, <laughs> I would have a right to say that because I didn't see it, you know. So I, I'm, I generally try to reserve opinion unless I've actually uh, seen the book um, mm-hmm. uh, or, or read it. Um, I think it's really hard because, yeah, you're seeing a very different image to what you think the book's going to be, but the book hadn't even come out yet. Um, right. But uh, I would say, uh, like, you know, if, if that's the book you're making, then a sexy lady cover probably isn't. And even, to be fair, it wasn't even a sexy image. Like, I didn't find that sexy at all. <laughs> like, yeah, but uh, I feel like that just goes back to, like, what everyone, what's within, I don't know, what your interpretation of what you're seeing and also about sexual, like, your own personal ideologies about sexuality or nudity. Well, I mean, uh, there's there's a certain, I would say this in that it really shouldn't bother a woman to see that image and feel that it's inappropriate. Like, she shouldn't, but you can't expect her not to when mm-hmm. 99% of the imagery of women is like that, you know? Yeah. I don't think there's something aesthetically wrong with somebody drawing that image, but at the same time, if, as a woman, you're exposed to all so much of that crap and mm-hmm. you want a book to speak to you and that's the message you're seeing, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the message of the book, but surely that cover didn't help matters. And if that's the message they're getting from that, I can completely understand why right. somebody would be upset with that. You know, if I see a depiction of a guy, you know, looking to bent over, maybe too sexualized, too bent over, maybe he's maybe he's bent over and his ass is spread or something. I'm not comfortable about. <laughs> I can get over that because most depictions of men are quite heroic or idealized in a very flattering right. way. Mm-hmm. And you know, boo, I can get over that. You could say the same thing to women, but not when they live in a culture where it's a certain ideal uh, uh, body is mm-hmm. forced, foisted upon them all the time, you know? Yes. It's very privileged of me to say, like, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Well, that, you know, I don't have that problem every day of my life. Yeah. I don't need to see that kind of stuff aimed at me all the time, you know? But that's actually really interesting because I, it's funny because you jokingly mentioned it earlier, but yeah, I was talking about how with, actually, let me not, okay? <laughs> let me not. Okay. Because I don't want to keep you any longer than we need to. Yeah, I, but actually, yeah, I probably should go. It's half two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank it you. was oh, no really exciting, if you didn't realize. Yeah. Well, well uh, thanks, to, thanks to, to all of you for actually uh, checking out the book. And thanks to Chris for suggesting it. Uh, 
Too bad he doesn't get to actually ask any questions. Yeah, but I'm sure he'll be so happy when he hears the interview. Yeah. Your answers have all been so thoughtful. Yes. And it's been great getting your perspective on all of our weird questions that you didn't know were coming. Oh, no, I, look, you guys have bought the book. I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm happy that anybody's even interested. <laughs> great. All right. Well, thank you so much, and we'll, we'll no let you go and do your thing. Cheers. Well, okay. Best of best of luck with your creative endeavors. I'm curious to see where you're going to go. Thank you, Declan. That's very nice and has validated my entire life. So now I don't <laughs> no, have to produce anything. Well, sure. If you say something on on Twitter and I'll like follow what not and see what you're doing. Oh my god! Now I'm just gonna <laughs> die. <laughs> now I feel like I have to be prolific. Ah. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, now, the, now the pressure's on. But, oh, uh, and um, good luck with the the new job, Kathleen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, sure. I might, I might be. I might be talking to you. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Thanks. And, thank, and thanks to you, Marius. Yeah, right. sure. Good luck with your future comics. And uh, I think we're all really looking forward to reading the next issues of Injection. Great. So. Thanks. Uh, all right. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank, thank you. you. Please, Goodbye. guys. Bye-bye.